privilege to preach this morning, and I'm going to share a well-known story with you. Wasn't Andrew Andrew Wallerton? You see, I've got Wally on my mind now. Andrew Wallerton, wasn't he wonderful last week? Yeah, he really was outstanding. And uh, he he, um, just unpacked the whole story of David Goliath and uh, how we need to be people of faith and how we need to respond to what God is saying. So I really want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, please get on the podcast. Um, uh, Chris has been uploading it on Sunday immediately after meeting, so it's available for you. And it really was very, very encouraging message for us for the, the year and what God has for us for the year. Um, so we're going to look this morning um, back to our study of Mark. And remember, we're looking at, at the life of Jesus, a portrait of Jesus, and trying to understand who he was and how he was preaching the kingdom and how that brought opposition into his, in, in, into his life. And we're going to look at a well-known story this morning of the sower. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 4, and this is part 15 of our, our series, Mark chapter 4. The first 10 verses say this. And if you'd like to follow in your Bible, you can do so, or you can read on the screen. It says this. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that day he got into a boat, and he sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them with many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell amongst the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain." And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so here we have um, Jesus again teaching those that want to be around him. He's not in the synagogue. He's outside, he's on a lake side, and he gets on a boat and uses that as a platform from which he speaks to this large crowd. And here Mark points out that he uses parables to speak to them. And so I want to talk about parables of the kingdom this morning. And parables really is a word that is used to describe a kind of teaching that is not simple and straightforward. And uh, there, this kind of teaching was, was used by rabbis commonly when they would present a story or a riddle as a teaching method where they wanted to get people to respond to what they were saying. And it illustrated things in various ways. And so often parables were kind of like thrown out to raise other questions that people would have to try and think about and answer for themselves. And so I want to say when Jesus talks in parables, my first comment really is that parables are are the opposite of simple, straightforward, uncomplicated teaching. They are designed to help us think for ourselves and to try and think through an issue and come to a conclusion for ourselves. And if you look at our study of Mark already, you'll see that Jesus has already used some stories to do that. So, for example, remember in Mark chapter 2, he said that he didn't come for those that were well. He came for those that were sick. And he uses this picture of health to try and describe something of his kingdom. And he also used the picture of the bridegroom 
and uh, the wedding when he was talking about fasting. Do you remember? We talked about that in chapter 2 as well, verse 19 and 20. And he also used another parable. He used the picture of cloth being sewn, new cloth being sewn onto an unshrunk um, uh, garment. And he used that to say his kingdom was something new and you couldn't put new wine into an old wineskin. Do you remember that? These were all parables, all pictures, stories that Jesus has already used. So the question is, first of all, why did Jesus choose this method of teaching other people, of trying to encourage people through parables? Well, uh, those, all, those all should have come up individually, but uh, there you are. So they all came up at the same time. <laughs> My first point was <laughs> simply to encourage people to listen. Um, so this is not a formal setting. This is not a synagogue setting. It's not a church meeting setting where he's teaching them. So we have a beginning and we have an end. Uh, if he was outside, there would be a crowd milling around and coming and going. And so he would use these stories to try and get people their, their attention and their interest so they would listen to what he was saying. And then they would drift away again. And I'm sure that as Jesus um, preached, it would have been very much like a busker on the street that we have today. When you go to town center, often you have guys playing. And what do they do? They play the same set over and over again, don't they? And they play the same songs maybe 10 times, but you only hear it once because you come past them and you hear the set and then you go on. Well, that's how it would have been for Jesus. That's how I'm sure he preached when he was outside. He had stories and illustrations that he preached over and over, and the crowd came and went and heard what he had to say. So first of all, he's trying to get their them to listen. And secondly, as I've already said, they would have been familiar with this method. They would have known all the parables, the stories of the Old Testament. And the most well-known really is, um, I'm sure you remember the story of Nathan, where he confronts uh, David, and he tells the story of this man who had one ewe lamb, and he was a poor man, and this king had many, many flocks, and the king chose to steal the one ewe lamb from the poor man. And David is indignant. He says, who is this person? And of course, um, it's him. And Nathan is referring to his treachery in, in killing Uzziah, Uriah and stealing his wife Bathsheba. And you can read that story in 2 Samuel 12. But my point is that rabbis used this method often to teach people, and they would have been familiar with that. And thirdly, the third reason why Jesus taught in parables was to make abstract ideas concrete. Now, not, very much of, not many of, of, of us can grasp abstract ideas easily. Often, we need to think in pictures. Um, Andrew asked us last week, how many of us are visual learners? And lots of people put their hands up. It's helpful to see things in pictures. And you, you can speak in abstract, and sometimes it's hard for you to understand the abstract. So, for example, um, I can say, I can try and describe to you what is beautiful in words. And you might get it, you might not get it, but if I say have you ever sat at the beach and seen a beautiful sunset like we've done with our friends in Greece? Everyone knows, yes, beauty. Is that what you're talking about? Like a sunset? Yes, I get it. So people can associate abstract ideas easily with, with, with pictures that are, are physical, all right? And so that's what Jesus is trying to do. Or I can say... Um, uh, can talk about goodness and describe, try and describe to you what it means to be good. 
in an abstract way, but everybody understands a good deed when they see one. Isn't that true? We all understand what goodness means when we see someone doing something that is good for other people. And so here we have this becoming flesh. And so uh, there's a real sense that in all of our lives, the words that we speak have to become, the ideas that we have, have to become flesh and bones. They have to become real in us as people. And so that's why when the Bible in the New Testament speaks about faith, which is about believing God, it uses a physical person to personify faith and help us to understand what faith is like. And who's the father of faith? Oh, no, I've been teaching this for five years, ten years, and you still don't know. (laughs) Who's the father of our faith? Abraham, of course. And the Bible says over and over again, he has a picture for you, a physical picture for you of what it means to believe God and what it means to trust God and walk by faith. If you want to know what that looks like, look at this man, Abraham, who believed God and what he believed was credited to him as righteousness. He was saved long before Jesus came and he walked by faith. And we are to do the same. As Christians, we are to walk by faith just as Abraham did. And so the Bible uses a physical picture and a flesh and blood picture for us to understand what faith is like. And so Jesus is trying to do the same thing. He knew that ordinary people find it hard to cope with abstract ideas, and so he puts them into concrete stories. And he says, here's a story. Think about it. This is what I mean. Are you with me? And so my fourth, fourth point there is it, it forces us to think for ourselves, a parable, a story. Uh, we are compelled to make our own deductions and to think about what the story really means. We are encouraged on a journey to discover truth for ourselves. And that's what the Bible does. It invites you. It never compels you. It's an, always an invitation. Here is water. Do you want to drink? Here is bread. Do you want to eat? Here it is. If you eat it, it's going to be life to you. If you drink of this water, it's going to be life to you. But you have to decide, will you eat and drink of the water and the bread? Did you know, do you notice that Jesus was an extraordinary person? He never ran after people. Do you notice that? Sometimes out of compassion, we run after people because we want them to come into the kingdom and we want them to do the right thing. And so we run after people. And I'm not saying we mustn't be compassionate. Do you notice Jesus didn't do that? When the rich young ruler came to him who had done everything that a good religious person would do and said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus said, sell all you have. Give what you need, what you have to the poor, and come and follow me. See your future in a different way. And the man walked away, and does it say that Jesus ran after him? It just says Jesus had compassion in his heart and saw him walk away, and Jesus walked on. And we have to learn compassionately to do the same. People must think for themselves. People must come to a conclusion of truth for themselves. We have to pray. Trust God, sow the seed, preach the word, pray some more, and pray again, and carry on praying, and not be frustrated, but ultimately, it's God who brings revelation. And people must come to truth for themselves, and some people choose to walk away. But we still keep on as good soldiers with Jesus. Okay, so 
God wants us to do our thinking for them, ourselves. Can I encourage you as parents as well? Um, the worst thing that we can do is, too much, is to do too much for our children. You know, we want them to do well at maths at school, so when they're struggling with the maths homework, we do their homework for them. <laughs> or we write their essay for them because we want them to do well. That's not really helpful, is it? Uh, well, for, for, for me, maths is not like a non-issue because I can't do maths anyway. So my boys just had to find their own way with maths. And that's cool. But the worst we can do is to do too much for our children. We have to help them lovingly alongside them, link arms with them, and help them to discover things for themselves out of their own hearts and lives. That's what Jesus was aiming at. Truth always has a double reward when it's discovered personally. Have you noticed that? When you discover something for yourself personally, it's real for you forever. And you never lose it when you've discovered it for yourself. And so I want to encourage you. Jesus didn't try and save people from thinking for themselves. He wanted them to think for themselves. He wanted their minds to be active and not lazy and passive. And he wanted, didn't want to take the responsibility of thinking through something away from them. He gave it squarely on their shoulders, said, you think about it, and you respond, what do you think about this thing? And they had to make a decision. Four reasons why Jesus used stories, parables. And then secondly, the, main, the second point I want to make is this. I have three points. The second point is this. Can you go to the next slide, please? Basically, the parables are about the kingdom. Jesus is trying to talk about what his kingdom is like through these stories. And so the kingdom is God's activity in power in, through which he demonstrates that he is king. And so it's not so much a place, it's not a geography, it's not a physical space, it's an action. That's why we have to walk by faith. That's why we have to trust him. That's why we have to exert faith, as Andrew said last week. We have to walk on what God has promised. Why? So that we can see people saved into the kingdom. So that we can see people healed. So that we can see people delivered. Why? That is a demonstration of the kingdom that is coming as we walk by faith. And so the rule of God comes as his power is exercised through the person of Jesus. And the great promise for us is that as we trust in Jesus for our lives, we also inherit his kingdom that is come and is coming. And so we can experience his grace in our lives that saves us, that keeps us, and that has a sovereign future for us. So let's think about this thing of um, parables as the kingdom. And I want to say again three or four things. First of all, parables invite us to experience the kingdom of God by faith. This is what I mean. Do you notice that in the story, it says in verse 11, these are the closest disciples of Jesus. These are not strangers. These are his closest friends. And he says this in verse 11 to them. He says, to you, these ones that are walking with me, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. So we already know from Mark that the whole theme of Mark is the coming kingdom. And we know that when Jesus comes, his power is exercised over, and we see it over the demonic, over nature, over all sorts of things. He does miracles, supernatural supply to demonstrate his kingdom. And now he's saying, those that walk with him, those that are his disciples, I've given you the secret of the kingdom. Isn't that an amazing thought? To those that love him. What does that mean? Well, 
a secret is something that you know that not everybody knows. I think of it like this. Um, when you have a letter delivered to you, you, we still get letters delivered to us, uh, and it's got your name on it, right? It's, that letter is for you. It's a secret for you that no one else knows until you open the letter and you see what's inside. Isn't that right? Or uh, like an email. It gets delivered into your inbox. No one can see it until you open it, and then you discover what it is, and then you're free to share that with other people. And so Jesus is saying the same thing to his disciples. That He's saying, I've given you something that no one else has. It's still a secret until you understand it and you pass it on to other people. So make sure that you're hearing what I'm saying to you because this is an extraordinary thing that I've given you. This is a great gift that I've given to you. And so when we are to experience hearing God's voice, we must take great care to hear well. And so the, the, this story uses this kind of language of we are invited to experience mystery. And you notice Paul also says that about the gospel. He says this is a mystery of the gospel. Now he's not saying that, Paul is not saying that, and Jesus is not saying that in a way that it's like, you know, the gospel, you can't really understand it. It's so mysterious. It's like so supernatural. No one can really understand the gospel. It's only for the, the really spiritual ones, you know. He's not saying that. That's occult knowledge. You know, that's what, that's what occult people practice. If you come to me and read my tarot cards, I can tell you something about your future that nobody else knows. It's a mystery that only I have power to discern. That's occult knowledge. That's not the gospel. He's not saying it like that. He's saying it's a, it's a mystery. It's a secret. It's used in this way. The Greek word mysterion means until you have revelation of the thing, you don't understand it. That's why it's a secret. But when you understand it, it's no longer a secret. So this is what I, I can put it this practically like this. How many of you before you were saved didn't have a clue what the Bible was about? Anyone? Yeah. And you read this book and you think, what is this about? This is like so weird. Who is Jesus anyway? And then suddenly when you get born again, when the Spirit of God is in this, in living inside of you and your heart is be re, re, being regenerated, suddenly you understand the secret and you say, ah, that's what he's speaking about. I get it now. I understand what it means to be alive on the inside. My life has changed. I understand of the kingdom. I know what he's talking about. I get it. Yes? That's the mystery that Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I've given you that. And when you understand that, and you see what life it's brought to you, you can pass that on to others and bring life to them. That's the mystery. Not like it's, oh, it's something so you know, deep that only very few people can understand. No, no, no. Exactly the opposite. And so that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, have you read this before? And verse uh, 1 when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or great wisdom. Here he is, Paul saying exactly the same thing. For I decided to know nothing amongst you except Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling, and my speech and my message were not words of wisdom, but simply in a demonstration of the Spirit of God and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen.
That's what Paul is saying, same thing. So I want to say to you, he carries on, he says, among the mature we, we, we do impart wisdom, though it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart secret wisdom, a hidden wisdom of God, which he decreed before the ages for our glory, and no one who rules this earth understands this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. He's Paul saying it quite plainly. So can I say to you that good preaching is not a TED talk? <laughs> All right? It's not. Preaching is not a TED talk. Too many people are impressed by TED talks. It's cool that people know their subject very well. But preachers are not called to do a TED talk. They're called to preach the Word of God. And it might be imperfect, and they might not, might not be great communicators, but the heart of it is to make plain the mystery of the gospel so that everybody gets it, not, not so that the preacher can say, what great preaching, what a great preacher. It's all wrong. It's all the wrong way around. The, the, the preacher should be doing stuff to help the people understand the mystery of the gospel so they live differently, not so that people can say, what a great communicator. It's upside down. It's the wrong way around. Uh, I was loud again. I'm not angry, all right? <laughs> we make plain the mystery of the gospel so that everyone can see it. That's what we're called to do. Any good preacher of the gospel. Secondly, and this is an interesting one, parables, uh, uh, they are coming up individually now. This is cool. The next one, yes. All right. So parables of the kingdom... Show the difference between the lost and the saved. And, and this is what I mean. This is an extraordinary thing to me. You know, everyone that heard Jesus preach, there was a curious mix that surrounded Jesus. At the same time, all these crowds are full of admiration for Jesus, but at the same time, they are blind. Have you ever thought about that? They love Jesus. They love his preaching. They love his teaching. They love the miracles and the healing, but they are still blind to the message. They don't really get it yet. They admire him. They say he teaches like no one else they've ever heard. They love the fact that he's healing people. I mean, who, who wouldn't want that? I mean, you know, a great preacher, great communicator. You go to his meeting. He feeds you miraculously. <laughs> he, he, he heals you when you need. I mean, that's great, isn't it? But they still don't get what Jesus, who he is and what he's about. Still don't get it. So they're seeing all this stuff. At the same time, they are blind. They do not yet fully appreciate what he's talking about when he says his kingdom has come. And so the challenge for you and for me is do we really get it? Do we really get what Jesus is about? Are we fully understanding the kingdom of God, how it can change our own lives and how it can change everyone else? And so Jesus chooses to put these teachings in, into parables so that he can show something of the sovereign power of God that God reveals himself to some but still other people don't get it. And that's the thing that we have to live with as Christians. We want everybody to get it. We want everybody to see the joy that is in Christ Jesus. We want to see everyone to see the fullness of who, who Christ is and the liberty it brings into your life, but not everybody does. That's just the reality. And Jesus demonstrated that in a practical way as he taught his message because one person who was in his closest circle didn't get it. Didn't get it to the point that that person betrayed him and killed him. Said it's worth it for 30 pieces of silver, which was 
when you think about it in terms of that culture, that was like an insult. That was, that was what it took to, 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 to free a slave. 30, it was the lowest, the lowest, lowest, lowest payment you could make. And Judas chose to do that. He didn't get it. He walked with Jesus, talked with him, and he still didn't get it. And so... I don't think that Jesus is ever saying that he doesn't want to make his message plain. I mean, he says this thing here in verse 9. He who has ears, let him hear. Uh, that actually is quoting Isaiah. If you know the, the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 8, it says this, I heard the vo voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said this to me, Go to his, this people that are keeping on hearing but never understanding, that keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and their eyes blind, lest, unless they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand in their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, that's, that's a difficult verse to understand because on the face of it, it seems to be saying that Isaiah has been called to pursue a course which is deliberately designed to make people not to understand. But I don't think that's really what's going on here. I think one thing that written words don't do is give the tone of what is being said. And I think there's a, a, Isaiah is absolutely, uh, when he's saying these words, he's, he's, he's um, saying them in an ironic way. He's saying them half like pulling his hair out. <laughs> but at the same time, he's saying them with absolute love. I think he's saying this. God has sent me to bring truth to these people. And I want to do that. I'm fixed on that. I want to bring truth and his message to these people. But it's like all the good that I'm doing, and it might as well be like I'm hitting my head against the wall because they, they just don't get it. That's what I think Isaiah is saying. And it's the same with Jesus as he preaches. There are some people that are still blind to the revelation that he's bringing. And so um, that is, is the point of why Jesus says what he does through parables. So the last thing I'd like to say then is it's quite plain. It's there in the scripture. Is thirdly, okay, we looked at that. Thirdly, um, the next point, the kingdom has varying de degrees of effectiveness in people's lives. And that's why Jesus says, you must understand this parable about the sower because this is the key to all of ministry. This is the key to how my kingdom works. And if you get this, it's going to make your life a whole lot easier. That's what Jesus is trying to say. This is the most important parable. So when um, he says that in verse 12 to the, his disciples, and what he's trying to say is that there are varying degrees to which people understand what God is doing in his kingdom. First of all, verse 15 says there's some that don't even really hear the message. Okay? Uh, verse 15. Some hardly hear the message of Jesus and his saving power. They kind of sit in the environment, they hear the preaching, but they just don't hear. You can say it over and over again, they just don't hear. There's something on the inside that just doesn't respond. They just don't get it. Jesus is saying there will always be those kind of people. And I've seen that, I've led church now for 30 years. There are some people that just don't get it. Some people that come to church week after week and they still don't get it. And you can see 10 years later, same issue. 
just haven't got it. Just haven't seen how the kingdom can transform that part of their lives. And so I don't say this to accuse anyone. I'm saying this should help us to be compassionate as we continue to share the gospel because we have to be incredibly patient. Isn't that true? Because it takes sometimes a long time for someone to hear it. And then they get it, and then it's, everything changes. But let us not give up sowing the seed, because sometimes it takes a long time. Some, secondly, the parable of the sower says, secondly, some do get it, and they are really enthusiastic. <laughs> and I've seen this as well. They get it, and suddenly, like, poof, they, their whole life is transformed. But a year later, it's like they've disappeared. It's like the enthusiasm wasn't rooted in what was deeply true. There was no conviction. It, was like, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> but there's no conviction, and then it's robbed. And then after a period of time, they are gone. Well, Jesus says, don't let that bother you. You want to have faith. You want to have compassion. You want to be with someone that shares the word. But actually, there are also the reality is that some people are initially enthusiastic but don't maintain that enthusiasm. Thirdly, and this is a big one, isn't it? There are those that hear, and they receive the, wor the word, but then what happens? Worry. Wealth. I need to get rich. Other preoccupations prevent the kingdom taking deep root in their lives. And so they fall short. And so when we see people trying to, struggling with these things, what, what is our response as, as faithful uh, bearers of the gospel? It's to bring good news in the midst of worry and of stress and as people are trying to provide for their families that ultimately the kingdom of God is a promise to us that if we seek him first, all of those things are going to be taken care of. Keep the main thing the main thing. That's what we have to encourage people in. Then... There are, um, fourthly, there are those that hear the message and it bears much fruit in their lives. And we're talking about fruitfulness this year. We're talking about being effective and fruitful. So as God speaks to us and we hear him, let it, the word take deep root in our hearts so that we can bear much fruit. So let me just summarize then, and we're going to pray and break it together. So in summary, Jesus says, this is the most important parable. If you, and remember, he's speaking to his disciples. He's not speaking to the unsaved. He's speaking to those closest to him, saying, if you get the secret, this is going to help you be effective in your life and your ministry. And here's the secret. This is how my kingdom works. It's like sowing seed. And you faithfully sow the seed of God's word into every life that you can. And as you do that, know that some people are just not going to get it. You love them. You carry on being compassionate. You pray. You're faithful. But some people are just not going to get it. Don't let that put you off. You carry on sowing the seed. Some people, you're going to see, they're going to get it initially, and they're going to run like mad for, an, uh, for a year or two. And then they're going to stop running. <laughs> they're going to fall away. Don't let that discourage you. You stand with them. You pray with them. You keep alongside them. You keep on sowing seed into their lives. There's going to be other people that when they get the kingdom, they really do get it, and it begins to transform their lives. But along the way, pressures come. They get stressed about 
their lives and about providing for their families and about how the future is going to look and whether Brexit is going to be a good thing or bad thing. And they get really, really stressed and it robs the word out of their lives. And the life that has begun is choked. And when you see that, what do you do? You continue to be faithful, sow of the seed. You pray. You stand alongside. You lift up their hands. Continue to trust God. You don't give up. And then there are other people who get it immediately. And it bears much fruit. And it transforms their entire life. And when that happens, you just rejoice. You say, yes, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your saving power. This is the secret of the kingdom. To those that walk with Jesus, so that we can be effective in sharing the mystery of the gospel with others, so they too can get it for themselves. And then next week I'd like to look with you at verse 12. It says that Satan comes and immediately tries to rob the word from us. We're going to look at what that means and why he tries to do that and how we can resist that so that the word actually continues to bear much fruit in our lives. Amen. So God has much fruit for us this year. And let's be a real community that links arms with each other. And no matter, where, no matter where people are along that little illustration that Jesus gives, that we stand as brothers and sisters, we encourage, we pray, we carry on sowing the seed so we can see his kingdom come in our own lives and in the life of our community. So we're going to break bread. Let's pray. We're going to break bread together as a church community. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word sets us free. And we just pray, Lord, uh, this morning that you would help us to be those that faithfully by grace continue to sow as good servants, as good partners in the gospel, that we would sow the seed of your kingdom. Help us to make the mystery of the kingdom obvious to others. Thank you for helping us to understand it for ourselves. Thank you that it's transformed our lives. And God, we pray that same grace that you've given us, we would extend to others, that you'd help us to sow seeds so that people can see the life of Christ. And we pray that this year we would see much fruit. We pray that we would see in our own lives much fruit, that you'd use us in a powerful way. But we pray too that we see many come into your kingdom. And that the word wouldn't be robbed from them. That the cares of this world would not rob away the word. But Lord, that ultimately there would be much fruit for your kingdom through the life of this church. And so we simply want to trust you for that. And thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you've been faithful to us over 20 years. And Lord, on that basis we can trust you for the future. And so we simply do. We say, Lord, we trust you. We love you. We love your people. And we ask that you would help us to be faithful as we partner with you in the gospel. And so, Lord, we do just remind ourselves of our own need of your forgiveness. We thank you for your body broken. We thank you for that amazing nut uh, that you were betrayed, that you took the bread at the meal and you broke it and you said, this is my body broken for you. And you took the cup and you said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Eat and drink in memory of me. And so we do that this morning. And we remember our own need of your grace of your saving and forgiveness in our own lives. And we depend on that. And so I pray, Lord, 
uh, whether we've had a week where we've felt close to you or we feel like we've had a bad week, I pray that all of us would run to your table this morning to find grace at your table, that we would know the forgiveness of, the forgiveness of Christ in our own lives. And so I trust you for that this morning. And we eat and we drink with grateful hearts, knowing that you are a good Father. And we trust you, Lord, with our future. We trust you for the next 20, 30 years of our lives because you are faithful. And we eat and drink with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.